0: You're listening to Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Bob Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. We're going to be discussing the Temple of Solomon from ancient Israel to secret societies with James Wasserman, who is also uh, the author of Templars and the Assassins. The Spiritual Heart of Many Esoteric Societies The Temple of Solomon was located atop the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, a site venerated by three great monotheistic religions as the intersection of divine and human. Built by King Solomon at the peak of ancient Israel's power, the Temple of Solomon housed the Golden Ark of the Covenant in its Holy of Holies, a sacred chamber where one could communicate directly with God. Centuries after the Temple's destruction, the Temple Mount was used as the headquarters for the Knight's Templar during the Crusades, and countless legends have come down through the centuries about the secrets they may have uncovered there, including discovery of the Holy Grail or the Ark of the Covenant. James Wasserman is the author of several books, including Templars and the Assassins, as I mentioned earlier, and the Secrets of Masonic Washington, a longtime student of the occult and member of Ordo Templis Orientis since 1976. What a year that was. And he lives in New York City. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio, James Wasserman.
1: Hi, Bob. How are you, sir?
0: Oh, my pitching arm's pretty good tonight there, James. So you, you better watch out. All right. I know you hit 425, but that's all right. You know, we, we pitchers... <laughs> We pitchers now dominate baseballs. You well know that.
1: You're one of the few people I know who remembers 1976, you so. <laughs> know.
0: I remember it very well. That uh, was my first visit to the White House under President Ford. It was the first time I ate in the White House mess and uh, really enjoyed myself. It was really quite something. Well, this five-pound book. No, I think it's probably more than that. <laughs> Oh, the quality of the paper! I know this isn't the kind of stuff you're really supposed to be mentioned, but the quality of the paper is with these photographs behind it. Wow, it just smells so good. Uh, James, why was Solomon's Temple unique?
1: Well, that's you know that's an interesting question, Doctor Bob, because uh, what distinguished Solomon's Temple? was the fact that it actually held the Ark of the Covenant. Now, after Solomon's temple was destroyed in 585 B.C., the Ark disappeared. We, we remember that the Ark was, um, came into existence at the time of Moses. When Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, Uh, they built the ark to house the two tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments were written. And that ark, holding, you know, God's directly carved commandments on the two stones, was held in the tabernacle, the tent that moved with the Jews for 400 years from the time they left, left Egypt basically until, I'm sorry, 40 years, until they until they uh, reached the Promised Land, and in total it was 400 years from the time that Moses received the Ark um, and, and the tablets until they were housed in Solomon's Temple. So that, that, was, um, that meant that between you know, the several hundred years of, of the Temple itself, the, the Ark and the tablets were with the Jews for an estimated 400 uh, 800 years. After that, after that 70-year hiatus in which the uh, first temple, you know, no longer existed and before the second temple was built, that ark is gone. And and it's not mentioned again uh, ever in the Bible. So Solomon's temple was unique. It held that unbelievably powerful artifact.
0: Of course I think when most people think of the Ark of the Covenant all moviegoers think about uh, Indiana Jones and, yeah yeah uh-huh and, and uh what did you think of that film in comparison to what reality
1: Well I mean with reality who knows I mean I think it was very interesting to see the power to see the power of the ark and you know the special effects were extraordinary and of course who could not love Indiana Jones the the story was fantastic, but um, uh, I don't I don't know what the reality of the situation is. In other words, the Ark has been reputed to be in in very many different places, including absolutely lost uh, mm-hmm. underneath the Dome of the Rock uh, in Mount Nebo, where Moses was buried, uh, in Ethiopia, where where a group claims to have and parade it every year. Um, And, you know, between the, um, you know, the the Nazi searches and and warehouses and, uh, you know, underneath the uh, Washington Monument. And my goodness, you could probably find it in a lot of different places.
0: Yeah, that's right. I was part of a a sci-fi show. They were traveling around the country. (laughs) And I really didn't think they were going to find it in the Statue of Liberty, but that's where they—that's where they went. Uh, symbolically, uh, symbolically, uh, you know, there's a, a connection there. But as to the physical reality, I don't think they would melt down this type of uh, element uh, to put it somewhere. Now, the um, Holy of Holies. Uh, how and when was it used?
1: Well, you know, again, that that requires a little bit of explanation. In the beginning, um, Moses, when the ark was in the tabernacle, they had a, a, a special place uh, for it, you know, behind a curtain. And Moses was going in and out of that very uh, comfortably and very regularly. He's the only one who did, however, because... All of the Jews since Moses, uh, from the time of the Exodus until, um, uh, you know, the the destruction of the first temple, uh, were only able to enter the Holy of Holies once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day in which they would offer uh, the uh, lamb to atone for the sins of the community for that entire year. And only the high priest himself was able to go into that sacred area. So it was a very exclusive and 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 sacred precinct.
0: Well, it must have been quite. Oh, I almost said electrifying place to be, but uh, it must have been something. A very uh, to go into this particular space. One I believe had to be pretty special in their own well,
1: absolutely. they would be chosen, and you know there's that little story about having the bells on the fringe of their garment, right, so that it's almost as if they they were 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 letting the people know that they were still alive. I mean, yes, talk about an electrifying experience, it mm-hmm. must have been unbelievable yeah and and then there are the legends that that um the high priest had a rope tied to his ankle, just in case he died when he was in the presence of the Lord.
0: What well, was the Ark—the essential talismanic treasure of the people—and if so, what does that mean?
1: Well, it absolutely was, uh, because it was a physical. It, it was a physical uh, object uh, that you know, at least the at least the two tablets inside the Ark were a physical object created and carved directly by God. Um, When they were put in the ark and carried on the shoulders of the Kohanim or the Kohathites, um, they were, um, you know, it was a very, very special thing. And the fact that it belonged to the Jews and that it was housed in the temple and, and that it was, you know, had been given directly by God Meant that the Jews not only were the chosen people, but that, that they were the people who who, in a sense, carried God within their you know religious temple within their direct physical environment. Mm-hmm. Now, um, as I mentioned in the book, I was baffled. I was raised Jewish, so I was really baffled by what the loss of the Ark actually meant to the legitimacy you know, of the Jewish people and the Jewish religion. And um, it, was a, it was a real mystery for me throughout the entire time I was writing the book. You know, I would be alternately, you know, curious and depressed because um, I just didn't understand what it, what it meant that, that, you know, this, this holy treasure was lost by the people and lost, you know, the, the loss of the ark. Um, is attributed to the sins of the people without any question, at least you know in the in the um, metaphysical language of the Bible, there's just no question that's what happened. They disobeyed the Lord and the ark was taken from them and the temple was destroyed and they had been warned repeatedly over the 400 years of the temple's existence that that was exactly what was going to happen unless they achieved that state of oneness with God which, you know, which was their their burden, their responsibility as well as their privilege. You know, Bob, it's very much like I'm reminded so much throughout the book. I was reminded so much of the similarity between between America and between the um, uh, you know the people of, of 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 the Bible. You know, the Jews, because. Yes. Um, it seems to me you and I have both spent, you know, a great portion of our lives um, studying the unique nature of the American people and the unique uh, responsibilities that are given to this nation. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, the, the, the beautiful and, and precious, the holy gift of freedom is something that we need to earn on a daily basis. And this was certainly the case with the Jews and the and the honor of having been chosen to receive and, and hold the ark. And, you know, they violated that sacred trust.
0: Well, you know, uh, uh, somewhere around question 19 that I have, which I don't think we're going to get to tonight, I'm going to mention this because there there are... I learned so much, James. You really... Yep, you know how to write well... You know how to you know, <laughs> you know how to photograph as good as good as anybody I've ever seen. So when you put those things together, but you note on page two hundred ninety one that Jesus warned the Jews that God was willing to extend his mercies to more deserving people should the Jews not prove worthy to receive them. Whoa. That is some particular statement by Jesus Christ, isn't it? Well, yeah. look, we're not going to have much time to talk about that because we had other things to touch on. But for our listeners, that's one of the reasons why this book is so important. You're going to learn things here that you're not going to learn anywhere else because you have someone, an author, who has experienced this not just externally, but lives it internally. There's a big difference from that, and when you go through those types of initiations that, that that particular experience um, uh, that, you, that he has had and continues to have, that's when special things like this come out that you just don't read about elsewhere, and that's why it's so important. But we take our final break of this hour. James Wasserman, The Temple of Solomon From Ancient Israel to Secret Societies, Inner Traditions, James Wasserman Books.com. All right, <laughs> we're back on 21st Century Radio with the amazing James Wasserman, whom we just awarded a Ph.D. Now he owes me $125,000 because that's how long it takes to...
1: <laughs> You're doing very well, this show, between the 450 yeah. and the 125000 Well,
0: we got it. We got our half a million. We put these together, and uh, then I can get a new car, new pair of shoes, uh, and uh, maybe some... Uh, <laughs> Who knows what you could buy with that? Maybe five cups of coffee, something like that. Right, five
1: uh, cups of coffee and a couple of a couple of gold coins these days, huh?
0: Well, yeah, yeah. Do you think it's going to hit two thousand?
1: Oh, easily. Whoa, there now. Oh,
0: okay. Now, again, let me mention the name of your book, "The Temple of Solomon: From Ancient Israel to Secret Societies' Inner Traditions." James Wasserman's Books dot com. Friends, you don't want to miss a copy of this book now. Well, gosh, Rudy, there are so many other questions I have, but I'm not going to get a chance to ask. But but, we touched on the Freemasonry. What about the Knights Templar? How are the myriad myriad uh, legends of the Knights Templar linked to the Temple of Solomon?
1: Well, that's a, that's a great question, Dr. Bob, and it really gets a little funny because, <clears throat> you know, of course, the, the Templars set up their headquarters in the El aqsa Mosque they believed that the El aqsa Mosque was actually the Temple of Solomon so they made a mistake and it's just real funny because they you know they called their order you know the order of the Temple of, of you know the Knights of the Temple of Solomon and and it was, it was a mistake. But at the same time, in their hearts, uh, they were in the temple that had been, you know, the centerpiece of Israel, that had been the scene of, of their master, Jesus Christ, uh, doing his teaching. And they were in, you know, the most sacred place in the world uh, for them. So they were absolutely in the real Temple of Solomon, even though it wasn't.
0: Yes. Well, yeah. that happens often. I mean, you know, but, you know, we were going to uh, I have some other questions I must get to. We were. Uh, but I was going to ask a little earlier, uh, how is Mohammed's visionary night journey through the heavens reflected in the Temple of Solomon? And we're going to have to let our listeners uh, check that out for themselves, because there are links and parallels between the the the, the, the three great monotheistic religions. But I'm going to move now to what myself and my wife are, are very, very deeply involved in. That is the matriarchs in the Bible. Who are the matriarchs in the Bible, and why are they seldom discussed or honored?
1: Well, you know, <coughs> that's a that's another complicated issue. And and as you well know, the. Uh, You know, in my book, I give a a, a separate chapter to Ruth, who is literally the the matriarch of of the entire um, united monarchy, uh, being the great-grandmother of King David. Uh, But in some cases, you know, I think that the Jews really regarded women as holy on one level, so holy that, like, like the Muslim women, it's like they're covered, you know? They're covered because they're considered under taboo. They're so sacred and and so special that they're almost not to be beheld by man. I mean, there's there's that level to those taboos. Now, of course, as you and I both know, uh, without fooling around, that has turned into oppression and, and you know, a political and social, uh, uh, you know, horror shows for, for the women. But... Um, why why is the Shekinah something that is not more widely discussed in Judaism I don't know it was the it was you know in 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 the book uh, in the Bible um, every one of the patriarchs uh, had you know a, 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 a his wife beside him at all times you know whether it was uh, you know Jacob and Joseph and Leah and Rachel and Sarah and and uh, Abraham. There was the woman was always um, at the side of the man, and as well as as well as Moses and you know Zipporah and um, each one of the uh, each one of the kings. Each one of the patriarchs, each one of the, the teachers, had had a woman by his side. Even Jesus, you know, had had that. Um, Jesus broke through some of the restrictions on the uh, on the female by by encouraging and and welcoming uh, the women disciples. That was a real breakthrough. I think. I think you know uh, my book and and certainly the Bible from whence my book derives, make it clear that the Jews and and you know as the people of the Bible, so to speak, lost the real reality of what they were supposed to be doing. they were not practicing what they should have been, and I don't think that the uh, the deity itself uh, which had a feminine component, you know, as the Elohim, it's both a male and female deity, mm-hmm. um, and and the um, the idea that it's a it's a patriarchy, I think, was was actually a breach of, of the sacred teaching, and and I think that the Jews paid for it.
0: I, I agree with you, I really do, and I think that's exactly why they in some in some ways, like almost all religions, you lose your way after a while but but you didn 't ignore this issue and and, and uh, especially asa 's mother, you point oh, you had some really good illustrations if you go friends if you go up to our website right now and you take a look at the left hand side of of, of, of our uh, of it you'll you 'll see what i 'm about ready to talk about asa 's mother is identified in chronicles as a devotee of Canaanite goddess ashara. Uh, who I was going? I'll ask you who Asherah was, but I just wanted to mention that Discovery News reported, "quote, God had a wife, <laughs> Asharah, whom the Book of Kings suggests was worshipped alongside Yahweh in his temple in Israel," according to an Oxford scholar. Uh, so, the question, of course, they ask is why? Why was God's wife edited out of the Bible?
1: Well, you know, again, it's a difficult question. I mean, I really think it has to do with the inner doctrine and and the outer doctrine. I mean, the people were surrounded by some pretty lascivious cults that were going on at that point. You know, this was a really weird time. If, if remember, I point out in the Bible about all of these stipulations against um, incest, and and they were they were so strongly. Uh, commanded not to do that, that one could only think that the people around them were, and that's what they said. You know, the, God said something like, I detest the behavior of, of these other people. So, you know, it, it almost seemed it, that the uh, sexual puritanism was a corrective to the licentiousness that, that was going on around them. In other words, the balance, you know, is difficult to achieve. I think that, the, you know, as as many things in life that have power, it's difficult to find, you know, what is indulgence and what is, what is you know, the sacred worship. So I think that this um, conflict played out in the Bible and in the social and cultural doctrines of, of the Jewish people as well.
0: Uh, also... Wonderful illustration. You have wonderful illustration. Who was the Madonna of the Sacred Coat? And how oh, is she that. related to those female disciples who flocked to the teachings of Jesus? Because you've already noted that that Jesus taught women. And, of course, this was against the law uh, at a certain time. Why it was against the law, I think, is uh, is, is terribly unfortunate. Uh, and, and within Christianity, as you're probably aware, women were not allowed to... L- own a Bible about a hundred and fifty to two hundred years ago. And if they did, the minister that gave them the Bible would lose his position and maybe worse. Women were supposed to just <laughs> believe what their husbands told them about the Bible. This is that's terribly unfortunate, but but Jesus really changed this a long time ago and the fundamentalists today are teaching the same things that that, that women really really aren't quite up to snuff as men, as men are, not equals to men, which I think is, is a, a terrible curse, terrible curse. So who who was... Well,
1: we've got a long way to go to be as bad as the, um, you know, some of the fundamentalists in the Muslim culture that are actually killing women and, and engaging in genital mutilation and, and, you know, killing their daughters for honor killing. So as bad as our fun Western, you know... Christian fundamentalists or even Jewish fundamentalists may be, uh, there are worse people on this earth.
0: No doubt. No doubt. It's unbelievable the things that are going along these lines. And uh, I do, that's the kind of thing that Zohara and I have been fighting for some time and are going to continue our fight in that, in that direction. But we'll break away from that, mainly because I was just told by my boss, we're running out of time, darn it. Uh, but I thought this was important to bring up to to our listeners now
1: let, let me thank you for the work that you and Zohara are doing, Bob. I'm serious.
0: That's part, that's part of it. But uh, let's go to why... No, I'll, I'll skip all that one. I, there's so many I want to skip here. Why was it so controversial in the Jewish culture for Jesus to have a number of female disciples, which was one of the more significant aspects of his Reformation?
1: well again you know it was it was looked on as the opportunity for him to you know have a a sexual nature and Mm -hmm. you know if the woman was supposed to stay in the home and if the woman was supposed to be totally dominated by her man and if the woman was not supposed to have an independent desire to learn or to study then why would she need a teacher Mm -hmm. and jesus you know, like us, recognized that that you know women were indeed full incarnate souls and needed a teacher as much as a man did. Mm-hmm. And because he uh, was, you know, willing to to surround himself with male and female disciples, um, he was regarded with great suspicion. Now, that particular image, the Madonna of the Sacred Coat. I I have referred to her, I've I've owned her for about 40 years, and uh, I love her, and I always think of her as the Madonna of the Sacred Goat, because if you look at her, she's the model, I think, had a particular little smile in her eye, Bob, and I don't think she was totally uh, innocent, I think (laughs) (laughs) that there was something about her that I find most appealing, and you know, within that sense of holiness, she she has a certain a, a, a real sensuousness that I think uh, comes through in that in that particular painting, and I just love it.
0: Well, I have time for one more question. We got about five minutes, but this is an important question. How is the Temple of Solomon the spiritual heart of the Bible? And is also the unambiguous spiritual heart of Freemasonry and the touchstone of all progress through the first three degrees of Entered Apprentice, Fellow Craftsman, and Master Mason. Yes, this is a a very long question, but yours is the only book that I'm aware of that has the kind of answers that I think our listeners should hear. So please extrapolate on on the, the Temple of Solomon is the spiritual heart of the Bible, its unambiguous spiritual heart of Freemasonry, and touchstone of all progress through the first three degrees of entered apprentice, fellow craftsman, and master mason for $4 billion. Can you answer that question?
1: <laughs> well, as we discussed, uh, the Bible, you know, begins with the story of Genesis and begins with man and God walking in the Bible, you know, walking together in the Garden of Eden. Man sinned, uh, the serpent came along, and boom, the next thing you know it we're out of our divine communion, and the rest of the Bible is a journey seeking that oneness once again with the Lord, and we had it for a moment with the tabernacle uh when when God was in in the holy of holies of the tabernacle, and we had it again in the Temple of Solomon, when there was a fully recognized structural three-dimensional palace in which the Lord dwelt with his people. After that, the Bible becomes a mourning and a seeking for that unity once again. And as far as masonry is concerned, the, the mason is proceeding in his initiations throughout the temple. He, 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 and he takes the uh, first degree in the, in the outer court, and the second degree um, is given further within the temple, and the third degree itself is given in the Holy of Holies. So his spiritual progress is identified with you know, increasingly with the interior of the Temple of Solomon, moving closer and closer to the Sacred Heart, Of the mysteries, the temple of Solomon, the holy of holies within the temple of Solomon, the incarnation of God on earth.
0: So it would seem like a total contradiction that Freemasonry and the first three degrees is satanic. A total contradiction. It's like newspeak, you know, as, a, as like in 1984. So you and I have been been in the same battles against those individuals who have twisted this sacred information into a kind of belligerence that is beyond the pale. It's a, you know, I look at the tradition of Freemasonry as as one of you know. Look, looking out for your brother, looking out for your sister, truth, and helping others—that's the key to Freemasonry. That I've always seen it. What, what could you say about that?
1: Well, absolutely, it's the liberation of the of the human spirit, and that's exactly why it was so important in the founding of our countries. As uh, uh, of our country, as both of our books, you know, go into quite some detail about. It. In other words. This is it. We are free, free of superstition, free of tyranny, free of, of all of the of, the, of the bondage of the lower self. Freemasonry is, is an attempt at, at liberty.
0: Yes, indeed, it is. Well, you know, what an extraordinary journey you have had over the past five plus years. And look at your product. Look what has come out of it. Look what you've birthed, James. This is a piece of work that is going to go on in importance for the rest of your life. This wasn't a book that you knock out. You know how so many, well, I've watched so many authors write one to two books a year. How in the world can they do that? Well, I know how they do it. I'm sure you you do, too. (laughs) Their works are more or less compendiums of of 200 people that uh, come and give them information. Uh, and that's some that's one way of doing it uh but you know this is has the kind of depth that and it has its a longevity to it which is going to be a great reference book for as long as this country exists congratulations james
1: thank you so much dr bob i cannot tell you how much your words mean to me i really can't i i am so humbled by by what you say and especially knowing the value of your work and the incredible nature of what you've done. Um, I'm truly humbled, and I thank you.
0: Well, and vice versa, James, Brother James, vice versa. Thank you for joining us. The Temple of Solomon, from ancient Israel to secret societies, inner traditions, go to jameswassermanbooks.com. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Courtner. I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and remember, shine your shoes and get a haircut.